Our scripture reading from today comes from Psalm 31, verses 9 through 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated and welcome up, Chris. All right. Hey, good morning. I hope everyone's doing good today. Uh, I'm happy to be here in Tucson. I, I love this city. It's such a beautiful place. I am a Arizona State Sun Devil, class of 2003. And I love the Sun Devils, but just because you love the Sun Devils doesn't mean you have to hate. I'm not a hater, <laughs> all right? Uh, you guys got busted for hating. Anyway, I love, I love the Wildcats. I love Tucson. I'm happy to be here. Uh, my wife and my children are here for me, uh, my wife here in the front, and uh, my, my, I have four daughters, four daughters, four beautiful little girls, 10, 8, uh, Six, is she six yet? Five, she's going to be six. <laughs> and two, uh, but uh, maybe you'll get to see them afterwards. But at Redemption West Mesa, we're a multi-ethnic church. We do a bilingual service, and usually I'm preaching through an interpreter. So right now I feel like I'm, I'm naked up here without my interpreter. I usually <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to, to right, go in Spanish, and then I'm English. and So the chains are off today. I'm excited and I'm happy to share with you guys today. Uh, a little bit uh, about me is uh, I grew up in Castle Grand, Arizona. That's part of why I like Tucson, because it has this like small town kind of feel. It reminds me of my hometown. Uh, but uh, even further back, when I, uh, my parents were married when they were uh, 16 years old. All right? Could you imagine being married at 16? Right? Most 16 years, years old, right, they... They can barely uh, brush their teeth every morning, right? let alone be married. Uh, but they were married, and they had me when they are 17 years old. And soon after that, they got divorced. And so I grew up uh, uh, much of my childhood without my, my biological father. And so my mom ended up getting remarried, and she had six kids. So we grew up with six kids in the house, you know, pretty crazy with that many kids in one house you know you put that many kids in one space it's gonna be a little chaotic and uh and my dad ended up getting remarried and he had five other kids so I have 11 siblings 11 siblings and I'm the oldest of 11 siblings and can anyone top 11 siblings anyone I see one in the audience how many do you have 14 give it up give it up great job <laughs> your parents uh, uh, 14. Well, uh, also, so uh, my youngest sibling is seven years old, all right? 30-something 30, 30 year gap. So my dad had his first kid at age 17, 
and his last child at age 47, right? So now he's got, and he's got two kids younger than my oldest daughter. So he is tired. He's, just, he's tired. He's exhausted. You, know, you should have your kids when you're young, just a word of advice. All right, you need a lot of energy for children. Uh, but uh, growing up, I want to tell you a little bit about my, my home life, and that's going to lead into this sermon. I, I'm going to share with you guys some stuff near and dear to my heart, stuff that I've been learning. And every time I teach it, it helps it sink deeper into my heart and, and learn it more. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to share with you guys today about uh, uh, loving God with our emotions. All right. Uh, but uh, growing up, and so I've, had to, I've been on a journey of understanding and emotional awareness, emotional health. Because growing up, uh, my stepfather, he, uh, he was an abusive. He was abusive physically, emotionally abusive. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not here to just rip him apart. I, I've forgiven him. I'm thankful for him. Uh, I try to even understand a little bit of where he was going through because he, he wasn't a believer. He didn't know Jesus. He had seven kids in his house, and he was 30 years old. Right, so he was—he had some his own immaturity, and he had a lot of pressure. And so I try to give him as much grace as I would hope that that God would give him, that God would give me, that my kids one day are going to give me, right? As, as an imperfect parent, so I try to give him grace. And and uh, but the reality was he was an abuser, right? There was domestic violence in our home, child abuse, and, and it was rough. It was rough. It was a hard growing up. And, and one of the things about, you know, our household is we were spanked or yelled at for uh, not only things we did wrong, but mistakes we made. So everything, everything led to a, to a spanking, fits of rage. And maybe you, you heard this growing up, but so, so he'd yell at us, make us cry, and then we'd hear, you want me to give you something to cry about? Right? I'll give you something to cry about, right? And, and so what we, you know, when we heard that, we knew, <gasps> shut it down, shut it down, tuck it down deep, get it together, because it's just going to be more, right? You got to, that's how you minimize the, the, the abuse or the, or the punishment. And so growing up, we also had to learn how to, to please the beast, right? Don't, don't disturb the beast, do everything you can to keep the beast happy. So I learned to shut down emotion and perform. Shut it down and perform. Right? And, I, and so that led to, and it actually it drove me a lot of my life to perform. I wanted to be the best basketball player. I wanted to do good at school. I had, it led me to, to trying to prove myself, right? starting in the home, but also in life, in ministry. And it led to these, this deep inadequacy and, and this lack of emotional awareness, right? Because they're just shut down. And, and so for the past last two or three years, I've been on a journey to kind of to get emotionally healthy. You would have never known I was probably emotionally healthy because the emotions were so shut down. But, uh, but I've been there. I've been there. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, my autopilot is still is to shut down emotions. It's to shut them down, go on autopilot, and perform. 
right? So I, I've been learning because when those things are shut down, I'm, I'm disconnected. I'm disconnected from God. I'm disconnected from my wife and my children. And, and I'm just trying to, I'm just in this autopilot, just, just press through, just get things done. And I'm, and I'm disconnected from, from the church a lot if, when I'm in that, right? I'm, I'm just in task mode. And so I wanted to talk about loving God with all our emotions and because emotional health and spiritual health are inseparable, right? You cannot be uh, emotionally unhealthy and spiritually healthy at the same time, right? It, 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 these are some quotes. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which I highly recommend the book, talks about, he says it this way, he says, it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, right? We, we have to, to be able to understand what's going on in, inside, right? Our, our emotions, are, I'm, I'm going to talk about them more, connect us to God. It's almost like when your emotions are shut down, it's like having a, a small a business, and when one department of that business, let's say uh, uh, the finance department is not working correctly, right, all the other parts of the department suffer, right? So, so for us to be healthy and whole, we need to have healthy emotions. So emotions are, are positive and necessary. Uh, the Latin root of the word emotion is, is movere, all right, and that means to move. Or even if you look at the word in English, motion, just look at the word. It says motion in it, right? Emotions are meant to move us, to move us and drive us. In fact, everything that we do in life, even though we might not be aware of it, is driven from, from emotions, from our desires and, our, and the thing that we love the most and desire the most, right? Our emotions are what move us every day. If we didn't have emotions... We would stop moving. We wouldn't get up in the morning. Right? Emotions move us and, and they move us and they connect us to God. And, and they're actually God's messengers. Right? They're information. They're, they're trying to tell us something. And so we need to, to pay attention to them. Right? So everyone here, whether you've ever thought this way or not, is emotional. We're all emotional. And I know when we think of um, being a, an emotional person, we think of a person that's like, like breaking down and falling to pieces all the time, right? But, but that's not what it means to be emotional, right? We're all fillers. We're all emotional. And uh, some of us might just not have the ability to process what we feel, right? We might not have the ability to process or have the emotional awareness. When I was on my journey to start kind of emotional awareness, I got the, there's like these charts that show like the primary emotions and sub-emotions. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but it just lays out the emotions for you. And so I'd have to be like, all right, what am I feeling right now? And I'd have to look at the chart, you know. I'd be like trying to figure it out like a blueprint. Oh, I think I'm feeling that, right? That was, the emotions were so shut down. I just couldn't recognize what was going on inside of me. And it led to reactiveness. Uh, I think what really pushed me to understand that how important I need, why I need to get emotionally healthy is for the last two and a half years, we were on a journey of, of foster care. And we brought in baby number four, who we just adopted, by the way. You'll see a picture of her later. And we brought in baby number five. And, and 
the emotions spilled out. I couldn't suppress them anymore. I was pushed beyond my breaking point. And I was reactive, and I was having fits of anger, and I didn't know what was going on. I was tired and exhausted and worn out. And God just showed me how, how I needed to get healthy. And so it was a gift. It was a blessing. So we all have to, to start today. We have to acknowledge that we have feelings. We all have feelings. Guys, we have feelings. You have them. I know uh, it, it's not necessarily manly to talk about emotions, but the manliest thing you can do is, is to be connected with your emotions, to understand them. Because if you want to be a, a real man and you want to honor God and serve God and, and love a wife and raise kids, you're going to have to be connected emotionally. You're going to have to be able to connect with people. You're going to have to be able to connect with God. We're going to need it, all of us. And uh, one of the things about emotions is they move us towards reality. And I, I got a little chart that I, I think helps me understand a little bit about emotions. All right, if you look at this chart, integration is in the middle. That's reality. Reality is that the place where logic and emotions overlap. Right, that's, a, that's emotionally healthy spirituality is right in the middle of reality. That's where God exists in reality, right? And it's a balance between logic, which is truth, and emotions, which are, uh, are information, all right? So some people are all logical, and this was where I was at. I was all logical, all God's word, I had all the scriptures, you know, that I could, you know, possibly use to even my, even what happened is growing up, I shut down the motions at my home, but then I came to faith and I used scripture, I used God's word to keep suppressing emotions, right? So whenever I feel a negative feeling or I feel bad or whatever, I, I, I'm not supposed to feel that, right? Because that's not what the Bible says. I, so I, I use scripture to kind of suppress my emotions. And so people that are all logical are, are going to be low on, on love and empathy and compassion and understanding. They're going to be all about truth. It's all about truth, right? And they're going to struggle connecting with people. They, they'll know the right things about God, but they're going to struggle really enjoying God and feeling and experiencing God. People that are all emotional, right? all emotional, that's not reality either. right? They're, they're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. They're going to be led all by their emotions. They're going to, if it feels good, do it, which is not necessarily reality. Right? Fit, maybe fits of anger, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe just breakdowns. Right? So we need to be operating in reality where logic and emotions meet together. Right? That's where God is. That's how we love God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength is reality. We need to understand those things and, and connect. With God, and so, so as we look at this scripture, we read this scripture, it's a pretty heavy one. David is in a, a, a very emotional place, he's in a place of distress, he's, he's crying out to God, he's lamenting what he's going through the, the brokenness and the pain. He's lamenting, and, and David is integrated. If, if you'll look in there, there's emotion, and then there's truth. 
And, and David's connecting with God, yet he's crying out. And, and, and David is emotionally healthy. Right? He's, he's meeting God in reality. He's integrated. And now, you'll see a lot of emotions are coming out of David. Maybe some fear. Maybe some anger, some despair, maybe some hopelessness. He's got all these emotions that he's experiencing. And I believe the emotion underneath all of those emotions, there's a a sub-emotion, is shame. A lot of times what we express on the outside, the outside, the outer emotion, there's something deeper going on inside of us. Right? There's a, a sub-emotion or a deeper emotion. And the deeper emotion that David is experiencing is shame. Let me show you, show you why I say that. Psalm 31, 1. No, if you want to leave your Bibles open or whatever, because I'm going to point to the Scripture, and I'd love for you guys to see this. Uh, but you'll see the sub-emotion is shame. Twice in this Scripture, 31, 1, David says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. And then in verse 17, he says, Oh, Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. The sub-emotion, the deeper emotion under his despair is shame. It's shame. And, and he's writing this at a time where he's being treated shamefully. He's being treated shamefully. He's, he's running from his life. He's being pursued by his father-in-law, King Saul. He He's, and, he, and he spends eight years of his life on the run, running for his life. And, and, he, and right there at this time he's writing, he's probably hiding. Maybe hiding in someone's home. Maybe hiding in a cave. And, and he's just, I mean, he is just, just distressed. And, but he cries out to God. He cries out. And he's feeling shame. So I want to talk about shame. Now, the Bible talks about shame in, in a couple different ways. And so I want to, uh, and, and I'd categorize them as healthy shame and toxic shame. All right? Because there is a healthy aspect to shame. Healthy shame makes us, uh, alerts us that there's something wrong. Healthy shame alerts us that, that we've sinned and we need to confess. We need to ask God for forgiveness. We, we need God's grace. That's what healthy shame does. It's, it's like a fire alarm alerting us to the fire so we can escape the flames. That's what healthy shame, it, it moves us to connect to God and, and confess our sins and receive his mercy and, and his grace. That's good. That's something that's good, right? We, we want that in our life. We want to feel that and confess and be transformed and healed and freed from sin. But there's this toxic shame. And I believe that's, this is the shame that David is experiencing. Toxic shame. I'm convinced shame is the most powerful human emotion. Right? It, it's something that is powerfully and universally experienced, but it's seldom understood. We, we, we just don't know it. We don't understand it. And I, and I know this, because this is something that, that I've been wrestling with from my, from in the last couple years to, to grow and heal from this. But shame can, it can be something, that, we'll look a little bit more into the de- definition, but it can he- be heaped on us by others. Or it can be 
the remnants of after we've confessed our sins and, and God's forgiven us and we still feel ashamed. Right? That's toxic shame. Right? We, we shouldn't be carrying that. But toxic shame will not move us towards God. It won't move us towards integration. It, it often feels like healthy shame, but it's based on lies about God, ourselves, and the world. That's what toxic shame is. And it distorts our sense of, of dignity and worth as, as image bearers created in the image of God with value and worth. And so it goes beyond, toxic shame goes beyond convicting us that we've done wrong. It begins to tell us that, that something is wrong with us, right? that we are defective, that we are irredeemable, that we are unlovable. That's what toxic shame does. So it attacks us to the core. It tells us that we're defective, right? All we can do is hide and hope others won't see us. That's what toxic shame does. One of the ways you can think about toxic shame is, and this is one of the reasons it's so hard to remove it. Once, you can even think about it as like a shame virus. Once it's infected us, it's hard to re- remove. You can't just, just you know, extinguish it with a, with a fire extinguisher. It takes a long time to remove it and to work it out and to starve it to death. But it, it's hard to remove because toxic shame begins to shape the way we see ourselves and the world. So one of the things I, I like to, I, these are my shame glasses right here. Ew, ew, gross, everything's yellow, Right? It, it distorts the way we see ourselves and the world, right? We, we, and we begin to think everyone sees through these lenses. So, it, 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 so when we look at ourselves, all we see is, man, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm so unlovable. I'm so unredeemable, right? It's this, this insecurity, this inadequacy. And it's hard to remove because it begins filtering everything through this. It's like a shame filter, right? So even when someone tells us something good, like, hey, man, you did a great job. All you can think about through your shame lenses is, yeah, but I failed 10 times before I did it one good, one good thing, right? Or someone tells you, man, man, that was, you're, you're so good at that. And then you're like, well, if they saw who I really am, they wouldn't have said that. That's what shame does to us, right? And then even, and then even worse are our failures, right? We're, we're, we're humans. We fail. We fall short. But our shame lenses tell us that, that you're a loser. You're a failure. Something's wrong with you. Right? How could God love you? Look at and, and then you begin to think everyone sees you that way. And it, and it suppresses your voice. It, it, it suppresses your ability to, to flourish and be all that God's created you to be. It'll hold you back. It'll, it'll hold you back from connecting with God. It'll hold you back from connecting with other people. It'll make you shut down. Right? It'll make you shut down. Uh, so here's, what, here's the definition I want to use for toxic shame. I, I think we got a slide for it. Shame is a deep, painful sense of inadequacy and personal failure based on the inability to live up to a standard of conduct, one's own or imposed by others. Right? So toxic shame is a, associated with this failure to live up 
to expectations, right? Maybe it's expectations at school. Maybe it's expectations at the workplace. Maybe it's expectations in your home life, right, With your, in your marriage. Maybe it's expectations for your, for your social life or with your parents, right? I, I failed to, to live up to this, this standard of conduct, right? I, I just can never get there. And I feel so terrible about myself. I'm inadequate. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what David's experiencing, right? No matter what he does, he cannot live up to the king's standards. So for me, I still remember this, this incident as a child. I remember it clear as day. My, my stepfather looked at, looked at me in the face and he st- told me, you know, You'll never be as good as me, right? That is a, that's toxic shame, right? He was setting a standard for me. He was saying, here's the standard. His standard was pretty low, right? Standards down here, you know, and you'll never meet up to it. You'll never live up to it. And I, without me even knowing, without recognizing it, I was trying to surpass that standard while feeling like I was so low my whole life. And that's, that's what it does. So maybe you grew up in a, in a home where it's, it was performance-oriented home. Maybe the bar was set high. Right? No matter how good you did in school, no matter how good you did, you couldn't get there. You could never get there. Maybe you put your own standard up there and you can't get there. Right? Maybe your, your social circle, you can't get there. That's toxic shame. It also, another way toxic shame can come into your life is even sometimes uh, in a way where you grew up thinking with this deep inadequacy because your parents didn't ever give you love or affection or attention. So you grew up believing that there must be something wrong with me, that they're not, they don't love me or they're not connected with me. Right? Shame is just one of those those things that can just creep in in so many different ways. Right now I feel like something's wrong with me. And so that's, that's what David's experiencing. He's, he's innocent, but he's being tra- treated shamefully. He's unable to live up to the king's standards. I want to show you a little bit about King David's life. Maybe you can identify with King David. But uh, as a young man, he is, he is brought in to serve in the king's house. Saul, King Saul begins having these, these psychotic rages where he loses it. And, and he requests someone to come play the, the lyre or the harp for him to help calm him when he's, when he's losing it, when he's on one of these rages. And so David finds himself there. Uh, he, finds him, he finds favor with the king. The king loves him because every time he plays, the king is soothed. And, and he, comes in, he ends up in the king's house. He ends up in, in King Saul's house for seven years of his life. It goes from part-time to full-time. And uh, I imagine this is thrilling for David. He's able to please the king. I mean, he he's, 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 has access to like this, this privilege and, and this power. And, and, and it's, he's the youngest of eight brothers. So he's the youngest. See, he's the forgotten one. He's the one that was out in the field with the, with the sheep. And, and, and forgotten, devalued, but now he's got value. He's important. He's, he's seen now. And so it's got to be exciting. 
But uh, he ends up becoming so close with the family, his best friend becomes King Saul's son, Jonathan. And he ends up marrying Saul's daughter, Michelle. So he's part of the family. King Saul's his, his, his father-in-law. And, the, and David is, uh, is eventually becomes a, a celebrated war hero. You might have heard this story, right? He slays the mighty beast Goliath with a, with a slingshot. You know, takes him, chops off his head. That's my favorite part of the story. He chops off Goliath's head. And, and, and he does this amazing thing by God's grace, right? By God's power working through him. And he becomes this powerful war, war hero, war general. But this is where the toxic abuse begins in, in, in Saul's household. Saul becomes jealous of David. He hears people singing in the streets. David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands, right? He hears this. He's a prideful guy. On the other side, of the, the opposite side of the coin of, of pride is, is shame. So now he's feeling inadequate, Right? I, I can't live up to my people's standards. Look at them. They're celebrating David. What about me? David's upset. Or, or King Saul's upset. Shame is bubbling up within him. And, and what do shamed people do is shame people, shame people. Right? He's got to tear David down to feel better about himself. He feels so inadequate. He's got to take it out on David. I'll show them who's the best. Right? He wants to prove himself by, by tearing David down. David, this whole time, is troubled. If you go read through the book of, of 1 Samuel, David's troubled. He's sad. He's distressed. Jonathan, Saul's son, is trying to help intervene and, and figure this out. And, and, and the abuse gets so bad that twice, while David is playing the, the liar, King Saul tries to kill him. He literally throws a spear and tries to pin him to the wall. And David has to flee for his life. So imagine this young man. He's now he's part of this, this family. He, he, he loves them. He's, he's gotten some, some, uh, some affirmation there and some attention there. And he's, he's gotten some kind of success there. And, and now it's all being stripped away. Right? He's, he's being treated shamefully. He can't reach, live up to Saul. Right? Saul's, Saul's abusing him. He's running for his life. His, his dignity and worth are being stripped from him. And he's got to run and hide and live in the shadows. Right? That's shameful when you have to hide. Right? You can't even come out. You're afraid. Imagine how you might have felt. And one of the things about abuse is nothing can stir toxic shame like abuse. Right? Nothing can stir it. And that I'm, I'm being treated so shamefully, I must be shameful. So David spends the next eight years on the, uh, of his life on the run as, as Saul pursues him and tries to kill him. And so this is, what, this is why David's feeling this. I mean, he's being crushed. He's been crushed under, under shame. And it's, and it's not because of what he's, he's done or failed to do, right? It's, this is something that's being heaped upon him. So check out, even if we, as we look at this, this passage, uh, in verse 10, he says, 
for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Right? He's sorrowful. He's being crushed. His bones are wasting away under the weight of this shame. He says in verse 11, Because all my adversaries I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the streets flee from me. Now, this is what shame does. He feels like everyone sees, sees, uh, sees him unfavorably. Right? That everyone disapproves. Everyone's disappointed of him. That's what shame will do to you. Right? It'll, it'll make you think, oh, what are those people in the corner laughing about? They must be looking at me or talking about me. Right? Oh, you know, they don't want to give me attention because, you know, they think I'm an idiot. It'll, 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 it'll shape the way you see, right? See the world or think others see you. Uh, it'll, it'll make you think that everyone sees the way that you feel inside. And so he, this last part, he says, I have been forgotten like one who's dead. I've become like a broken vessel. Right? So he feels forgotten. And he feels like a broken vessel. What's a broken vessel? He feels like trash. Right? When someone treats you like trash, you begin to think you're trash. When someone tells you a lie long enough, loud enough, and often enough, you begin to believe it. Right? Satan wants to shame you. The world wants to shame you. Right? You can't be loved. Look at you. You're a failure. You're a loser. How How could God use you for anything? And those are lies. It's a lie, right? I want you to hear that. It's a lie from the pit of hell. He feels, you know, he feels broken. So I want to show you. Now I want to look at five things that this passage shows us about emotions. It, It teaches us about emotions. It teaches us how we can go to God. It teaches us how we can be integrated and healthy. We can look at how how David dealt with his distress. How did David deal with the shame? And this, if, you, if you're identifying with any part of this, I think these are five good tools to help you connect with God and, and begin on a path of healing and, and, and on a path of joy. All right, and connecting with God, connecting with others, operating in reality. All right, so five things the Psalms teach us about emotions. Number one, you are not alone. You are not alone. Repeatedly in this passage, David says, you alone, God, are my refuge. Right? A refuge is a hiding place. David found shelter in God. What that means is David wasn't alone. And you're not alone. Right? You don't have to do life alone. God, let me just tell you, God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. You hear that? God loves you. He knows more about you than you know about you. Right? He knows your sin. He knows how you've been treated. Right? He knows not only the sins you've been committed, you've committed, but the sins that have been committed against you. And he knows you, he sees you, and he loves you. And he's our refuge. Right? We can draw near to him. We can 
receive his grace and his healing and in his forgiveness and his love. And we need to be able to begin to, when we feel these, these distressful emotions, not just shut them down. Too often, let me just tell you, we miss out on spiritual growth in our life because we ignore our emotions. Right? God is sovereign. God is in control. God has ordained everything in your life, both good and the bad. And God can use even evil for good. Right? And so, so when you're dealing with rejection or failure, right, or the, these things, don't tuck them down and perform. Connect with God. You're not alone. He loves you. He's not ashamed of you. And he wants to take that shame from you. Right? Jesus Christ bore our shame on the cross. Jesus Christ was ashamed so that we don't have to carry shame. Right? You're not alone. God loves you. God is gracious. Let me just tell you, this is a truth that I have to confess to myself all the time. God is gracious so you don't have to prove yourself. Right? God doesn't, there is a standard that we can't keep, right? But God kept that standard for us. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life for us, and he's our refuge. So you're not alone. Remind yourself of that. When you're feeling negative emotion, painful emotions that you, you want to suppress, go to, you're not alone. And then number two, God wants you to come to him. Right? God wants you to come to him. If you look at this passage, David comes to God. I mean, he's crying out. He's in distress. He's sad. He's feeling hopeless. He's feeling broken. Right? He doesn't know what's going to happen. Right? God's got all these promises for him that he's going to be the king one day and, and he's hiding in a cave. What is going on? Sometimes in life, things don't make sense. Right? And you go to the scripture and you go to logic and the, and the scriptures tell you this and that and, and, and you're still there in that, in that distress and that brokenness. And so you can bring that to God. You can cry out to God. I think a lot of times we think when we come to prayer with God, this is what lament is, by the way. Lament, prayer, is just crying out to God. Bringing all of our emotions to God, our, our distress and our sadness and our fear and our shame. And when we ignore that, we miss out. We miss out on what God might have. We miss out on, on connecting with God and, and receiving hope and receiving grace and receiving healing. God wants you to come. God wants you to come. You don't have to get it together before you come to him. And that's what you'll see repeatedly over and over. And I think that's why the Psalms are so powerful. In all the lament Psalms, people are coming and they're crying out. And they're even irrational a lot of times. Right? I felt very uncomfortable coming irrational to God. But we can come that way. God can handle it. God can handle it. Let me just tell you, a lot of times we're tempted to go to social media, right, with our distress. So a lot of the things on social media that you'll see, whether it's Twitter or whatever, is people lamenting. They're crying out. They're just crying out to the public rather than crying out to God. Right? When you have those, those times where you just want to say, God, this is not supposed to be this way. Right? How, could, uh, how could this brokenness exist? How could this brokenness in politics or, or the world exist or this tragedy? Right? Lament to God first. It'll help you have a, a filter too on social media. Right? It'll, it'll save you some trouble. So God wants us to come to him. Number three. 
our emotions need to be confronted with the truth, right? If you'll look at David, he, he, he comes, you know, you can come irrational, come irrational, come, come uh, you know, lamenting and broken and crying and, and weeping or however you want to come to God. But always in, those, in the Psalms, you'll see there's like this transition that happens. They'll come just distressed and then God meets them and, and then they start confessing the truth and God, God helps them kind of move towards reality. That's what happens. That's what happens is, is God's word becomes real and we're connected with us. And, and look at what in, in 31.14, you see David connecting with truth and connecting with God. He, he says in 31.14, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Right? That's the ultimate reality. You are my God and I trust you, Lord. That's the ultimate reality. That's the truth. That's the ultimate logic, right? God, I know you're my God, and I trust you, Lord. Whatever the circumstance, whatever you're going through, God is sovereign. God is in control. God is working in it, and God's going to use it to, to conform you, to shape you into the image of Christ Jesus. That's what God does. And, we, and as we connect with God through our emotions, God, that's what God's doing. He's, he's shaping us and molding us. And, and so our, our, our emotions, that information is connecting with reality. So number four, and then what you see is after trusting God, that God is our comfort and salvation and peace. Look at, look at the, start in verse seven. It says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Right? God comforts David. And he comforts him with his steadfast love. Right? He, he feels God's love in the middle of his distress. He's reminded of God's never-ending, unbreakable, unshakable love. He's reminded that nothing can separate him from the love of God. He's reminded that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's comforted in God's love. And he remembers that God sees him. He remembers that, that God has delivered him. And, he, and, he's, and he's comforted and he's, he's filled with some peace. But part of this is he begins to see his value is in what God thinks of him, not what King Saul thinks of him. Right? I, want you to, you want, you, I want you to hear that. Your value is found in what God thinks of you, not what the world thinks of you. Right? Not what your parents think of you. Not what your, your you know, co-workers or your classmates or, or, or anyone thinks of you. Your value is in what God thinks of you. And so shame-filled people need to learn to see themselves from God's perspective. Right? Your feelings are not your identity. Right? You might feel inadequate. You might feel like a failure. You might feel a lot of things, but that's not your identity. That's not who you are. Feelings are information, not identity. All right? So, but your true identity, your true identity is adopted child of God. Loved and accepted in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've been adopted into his family, he loves you. 
And he's not ashamed of you. And he's not wagging a, a, a finger of shame at you every time you do wrong. God loves you. Unbreakable love. Unshakable love. And so I, I, if, you're, if you're struggling with feelings of inadequacy and shame, and, and that shame and inadequacy becomes your identity, you have to, I, I encourage you to find something that centers you, that reminds you of your identity. And I, 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 sh- I got this picture I wanted to show you because this is like what I use to, to remind myself of God's love. When I see that burger right there, oh, man, I remember God loves me. <laughs> <laughs> that helps too, but I'm, I'm talking about my baby right here, Sydney. That's my baby. We adopted her a couple weeks ago. Man, I never knew how much you could love a child that you know, not, didn't, didn't come biologically from me. But I love her. There's no difference in my love for her. Right? I, I'm crazy about her. Look at her. She's trying to pray right here. This is, she's got a lot of energy, so she's got she's to muster up all her strength just to hold still for a little while. Right? But look at her in my arm, the, the Father's love. Right? This is you in God the Father's arms. God loves you. He adores you. He's pleased with you. Right? He's not thinking about your shame or your failure or your inadequacy. You're, you're, no, he's, he's saying, you're adequate in me. I love you. Nothing can take the love that I have from you. Right? This is always and forever love. The love of the Father. So I want you to maybe remember that image. Right? Picture yourself as this little, little child embraced by God. That, that's the reality. Number five, Joy comes in the morning. I don't even have any idea how long I've taken or how much time I got. <laughs> Here's the last point. Joy comes in the morning. I mean, I don't know how to gauge time without a, my interpreter. So, so I hope I haven't gone too long. But joy comes in the morning. Joy, let me just tell you, joy is on the other side of shame. Joy is on the other side. Joy is on the other side of re- lamenting to God. Look at, what, look at how Saul, uh, he ends this. We're starting in the middle of verse 22. This is David. He says, But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly replay, repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. All right? I want you to say, be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Right? David is encouraged. He's experiencing joy. He's experiencing peace. And look at this. His circumstances haven't changed. Right? He's not like sitting in a fancy hotel now. He's hiding. He's, he's still probably scared. But, but God has met him where he's at. And he's being strengthened by God. And he's having joy in, in the midst of difficult circumstances because his joy is in the Lord. Right, so he's connecting to God. And, and, and so God didn't change his circumstances. He changed his heart. And that's what God does. And that's what we need is God to change our hearts, to comfort us, to love us. And you'll see, he says, those who wait for the Lord. Right? He's waiting for the Lord. Right? So the circumstances don't necessarily just change like overnight. Like the shame, just when that, su- that stuff's deep, it doesn't just go away overnight. But I can keep continually connecting with God and, and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord because joy is on the other side of that.
Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, Lord, that you would lift our shame. I pray that you would pour your love upon us. I pray that we could see ourselves from your perspective, how loved, how accepted we are in Christ Jesus. And free us, Lord, from that burden. Help us be more emotionally aware. Help us to connect with you. Help us to operate in reality. Help us be emotionally and spiritually healthy. We love you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.